Exodus chapter 2 in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 2. A lot of times when I look back on my life, I think about my adolescent years and I think about a lot of times where Sometimes, I know as a parent, you wonder if your child is old enough to understand. You know, sometimes you go through it or you go through hard times or you're having to make mountains move so that you can make things move for them and they don't, sometimes you don't even know, they don't even know half of what you have to do or have had to do in order to provide or in order to, you know, in order to, uh, to kind of be there for them. I, for one, grew up in a in a single parent home and I remember times when I didn't understand and I love my mom to death and my mom and I have a fantastic relationship but I remember growing up and I remember thinking about you know me and my, me and my buddy both grew up in single parent homes and we were just talking about the fact that for a single parent mom it must have meant everything for them in, in the sense that parents have a responsibility to keep their child's emotional tank full. You know what I mean? And what I mean by keeping a child's emotional tank full is if you invest, you invest as much love into them as you can so that when you have to withdraw via smoking that ham, right? Painting the back of that barn red or having to get onto them or, or grounding them or whatever it has to be. Whenever you have to withdraw from them, it's not going to be so detrimental to them because they've, most of their days are spent in love. You know what I'm saying? That's what it means to keep a child's emotional tank full. In most scenarios, it's going to take a two-parent home in order for that child's emotional tank to stay full. You may say, well, how is that? I'm going to explain that. Because what you'll find out the benefit of having two parents is that parents have to provide for their children monetarily, but that also is compounded by being able to provide for them emotionally. And a lot of times, if, you're, if I grew up in a single parent home and I knew that there were times, even though I know my mom loved me to death, that I didn't feel the love. And I know that, and I know that, that happened because she spent work, time working two jobs, three jobs, you know, trying to provide. And so my best friend said this term to me and I never forgot it. He said, our moms already do so much to provide for us that to ask them to provide for us emotionally is asking them for the world. And so, no, I'm not a mom, nor will I ever will be. But I just, that alone just talks about the strength of how powerful a mom is. Because there are many moms that have to move those kind of mountains and try to do their best to be the kind of mom that can work two shifts and then come home and read their kid a bedtime story and, and tuck them in and make sure they're showered and ready for school and give them the kisses that they need and the hugs. And that's a lot. It's a lot. Moms are strong. And you may say, Pastor, what's the purpose of giving us that story? Well, we're going to look at a woman today who did like many of you have done or will do, and that's give it all for her child. She's going to give it all for her child. And a message that I've entitled, Mama is Always There. Mama is Always There. I'm going to talk to you about the sacrificial love of a mother and how powerful that is. And hopefully it can be something that that affects us both. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. I just pray that you would use this message and speak to them, 
the way that you spoke to me, Father, and we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pick up in verse 1. We're going to read a few verses. It says in Exodus chapter 2, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him for an ark of bulrushes and, and daubed it with slime, with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And her sister stood, his sister, excuse me, stood afar off, and to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when she saw that the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. What I want to do is in just a few minutes and then we'll let you get on with your Mother's Day festivities is I want to talk about something incredible that happened here. Again, I'm thinking about my mom and just how sacrificial her whole life was. As she spent time in a... Uh, I would always tell my friends, man, count it all joy that you've got a, you know, both of your parents there because I just remember seeing how much my mom struggled. But I know that my mom with all the struggling that she did do, I never doubted that my mother loved me. And all the sacrifices that she made for me was, and not just for me, for my siblings also, um, showed just how much she loved us. And the fact that there were times I remember that my mom would feed us and not eat. It's because it was, it was that tight. And I would just remember her making all the, moving all the pieces she could to try to provide. And we're going to see a mother here going to the ultimate test. We meet a, mo a, a woman, and her name is Jochebed. Her name is Jochebed, and I want to give you some context, because what ends up happening is around this time, the Pharaoh was very intimidated by the children of, of Israel. Why? Because what ends up happening as we transition from Genesis 50 to G Exodus 1, we find out that the Hebrews were growing faster and seeming to match the Egyptians in number. And so what ends up happening is he gets threatened and he says, well, all the male children are, so, are to be slain. We don't want any more, no more boy babies. That's it. And so what ends up happening is this, she ends up, Jochebed ends up having a child and, and she does some things. We see her um, looking at this story and many times people can look at this and say, wow, what a great origin story for Moses. I don't even think Moses is the most important per per person in this story. I think it's Jochebed. Because she's about to make some crazy sacrifices and watch life come back around for her full circle. And how the Lord is able to do some things um, in her life that's able to be a blessing to her. So the Pharaoh makes this rule that all the male children are supposed to uh, are to be thrown into the river and be killed. 
and Jochebed and her husband end up having this baby and for the fear of the king's decree she hides the baby for three months and finally out of options she has to make an ark and what they mean by that is she basically makes a little boat and sticks baby Moses in it by the way she's at a point now where she doesn't even give the child a name because she probably doesn't even know how long she's going to even have the child. She's probably trying to watch her emotional attachment to him. So she hides him for three months. And then after that, she can't hide him anymore. You, some of you, anybody in here got a chubby baby? The milk monsters? You know what I'm talking about? I imagine the baby gets big and she can't hide him anymore. So she ends up sticking him in the river, hiding him in the bushes in the river, hoping to preserve his life. Out of options, this is what she does. Then we see Pharaoh's daughter comes, and she comes to wash up. And when she's there, she hears crying, and she's like, what in, what in the world? And she moves the bushes, and there's a baby in it. There's a baby in a little boat in the river, hidden in the bushes. Now, the Lord does some crazy stuff here. We see that Pharaoh's daughter has compassion on the baby. Now, Moses' mother, sorry, Moses' sister, Miriam, is watching afar off. She's, she sees mom stick the baby in the, in the bushes and she's kind of just watching the baby now. And as she's doing that, she sees that Pharaoh's daughter goes down, she finds the baby. And, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's daughter goes, wow, this is one of the Hebrew women's babies. So then Miriam comes running up. Hey, do you want me to, you want me to go get one of the Hebrew women to take care of this baby for you? She says, yeah, go ahead and grab one of the, go ahead and grab one of the Hebrew women. She goes and gets mom, the person whose baby it was anyway. And she ends up doing this, and Jacobet, his mother, gets selected to, to watch over the child and watch him to grow and to nurture him and to, and to raise him up. And she gets paid for it. Mom, don't you wish you got paid to be a mom? Don't you wish that you could just stay at home all day and just out of nowhere you could check your mailbox once a week on Fridays and there was a nice big fat check in there that says, hey, thank you for being you and for dealing with, and for dealing with kids who don't clean up after themselves and make you late for everything because it's a struggle to get them all ready and all that stuff. She gets paid for it. She gives her wages for it. He ends up, not only does this happen, but she gets a chance to raise his child who ends up becoming royalty, being in Pharaoh's house, and he ends up leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, and we know how his story goes, as he becomes one of the most powerful figures in history. But again, the story is not about Moses, it's about Jacobet. And so I just want to give you three quick lessons we learned about moms. We learned about moms through the life of Jacobet, and then we'll be done for today. Number one, if you're a note-taking person, a mother will always risk everything for her child. A mother will always risk everything for her child. And when she saw him, verse 2, and the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. You have to understand the times, right? I always tell you that context is important, right? Context is important because it's able to have you get a good idea of what's going on. It's n you may say, well, why? Without the context, you may say, well, why should, why is it a big deal that she hid the, that she hid the baby? Well, if you have to realize that hiding that child would have made her punishable by death. Punishable by death. She risked her life and the baby's life because 
hiding him was something that she really was going to say, I don't care what happens to me. I don't care how this goes. I'm not, I don't care what Pharaoh does to me. I'm going to risk it all to save the life of my child. And so she hid him. And I've always found it incredible that mother seemed to have this supernatural, mom, I'm gassing y'all up today. The supernatural ability to say, if it brings me to my death, I'm going to take care of my child. If no one else, I'm going to take care of my child. If, if, if nothing else happens to me, if I get nothing else, if, I, if this means struggle for me, I'm going to take care of my child. And Jochebed embodied that entire thing. And she said, I understand what I'm risking. I understand what I'm risking. I understand that I'm putting it all on the line, but I love this child. And I can imagine for three months, we're talking on the surface, 90 days, where she had to nurture and feed and try to take care of this child, looking over her back, not knowing if she's going to get found out or if someone's going to tell on her or, or what's going to happen. But we see this, this mom doing what I've seen so many other mothers do is say, I'm going to just give it off for my baby. That's a great, that's just a, a gorgeous picture of, of motherhood. It's saying that my child being something that is, that's so overwhelming to me. We looked at some mothers in, in Sunday school today. I think about Hannah. We know the story of Hannah, right? Hannah couldn't have a baby. And she cried and she wept and her husband said something so insensitive. Am I not better for thee than ten sons? And then she goes and says, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give him to you. I'll give him to you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this child if I can have one. And we know that Hannah ends up to conceive and bear a child who ends up being arguably the greatest prophet of all time, Samuel. And it's amazing as we, we see instances of this happen. We even see mothers going so far to play favoritism with their children. And of course there's so, of course there's, you know, you have to be careful. But one thing I do know and I've never doubted is that in most cases, moms are going to do whatever they can for their child. So can I ask a question? What kind of mom are you? What kind of mom are you? And it's so funny because a lot of times people can become defined by their children. But the story, as we said before, isn't even about Moses. It's about his mother. And about all she had to risk off the bat. What I'm saying is, we had Brother Howard this morning, uh, a little bit earlier in the service, read Proverbs 31. And just talking about all the qualities. And we look at that one portion that says, even her children call her blessed. Blessed. And the reason why I'm asking you, what kind of mom are you? Because it's not about your children or, or even your great-grandchildren, if you've got 25 or 24. It's not about how many children you have. It's about how good of a steward you are being with what God has given you. It's not about the kids at all. But it will be. You will, you will be shocked because there will come a day when you will stand before an almighty God and you will have to give an account to how you raised your children. Train up a child in the way you should go and when he is old, you will not depart on that. That, that falls on you. And it's, again, it's not about anybody else, but just the way that you are. Just like how God wants us to be a good steward with everything that we've gotten. But you have to make sure that once you become, you get the anointed role of motherhood. Because not everyone is that blessed. You hear me? If you are given the gift 
of children, whether it's one, five, 25, you now take on a responsibility that is God-ordained, in which you must do whatever you can to make sure that that child is reared up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because we were talking about Hannah just a second ago, and what did Hannah have to do? Hannah now had to come to a place where she was going to have to honor her commitment. She has that child, and the child comes, and now I can see God looking at her like, remember what you said? Remember what you said? And Hannah ends up giving that child over to the Lord. And all I'm saying is that we're looking at Jochebed, and Jochebed does something crazy, and she risks her entire life to ensure that this child would have a future. Number two, if you're a note-taking person, number one, we said a mother will always risk it all for a child. Number two, a mother's faith in God will always transcend the blessing on her. A mother's faith in God will always transcend the blessing on her. Moms, I got another question for you. How much do you trust God with your child? How much do you trust God with your child? She did something unthinkable. You know why she wanted them to throw the child in the river? Because there's crocodiles in there. That's why the Pharaoh wanted them. It would be a, an awful death, but that's, that was to drown or, or be eaten. But you realize that she sets her child in the river anyway, and she does it in a, in a sense where she, uh, she puts him in this ark, kind of hides him a little bit, trying, hoping to keep him safe. But what we find out was that she had a bigger faith in God over her child than she did in trying to do it all herself. Because let me tell you moms what the, what the, uh, what the pressure is going to be on you. The pressure on you is going to be like what many times happens with many people who are tasked to be stewards over anything that God has given them. Is that you're going to try and do it in your own power. May I remind you that God says, when I am weak, then am I strong? No, I'm not a mom, but I have one. And I've seen what it's like and the toll that it takes on moms. And the day after day, the hardships, the struggles, the, even the small things in, in the day, like trying to get the laundry done or trying to make sure that the kids are, have a lunch for school are, are big victories for you because it's, it's small things in the grand scheme of a bunch of stuff. I understand that. But you have to understand that raising a child is going to happen in an effective way in the Lord if you rely on the Lord's strength and not on your own. Because, yeah, she, she came to a fork in the road, right? She got to three months and she said, okay, the child's too big. I can't hide him anymore. What am I going to do? She could have continued to try and risk her life or she could have said, I'm going to trust God to do something with the situation. Are you trusting God with your children? Are you trusting God with your grandchildren? Because if you did... And I'm going to step on some toes here. If you did, you would be making sure you did everything you could to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know why? Because that is the safest place they can be. Amen. The safest place to be. Guess what, moms? I got, I, got, I got something to tell you. You are not the most powerful entity in that child's life. 
How do I know that? Because the Bible says, when my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Which means that there is someone who was able to comfort and nurture and develop that child far better than you can. Why not work in tandem? Why not work in tandem? You saw Moses' mother doing what she did and she was trying to embody what a mom should be and sacrifice for her child and give all she could for her child but she got to a point where she realized that I cannot do any more for this child than the Lord can so I'm going to put him in his hands have you gotten there? have you gotten there? and the reason why I ask that question because if you have not gotten there you're going to start to see diminish and can I tell you this it doesn't matter if your child is 5, 15 or 50 the same thing applies because as I mentioned before yeah I'm a mama's boy but my mom is not done with me she stuck with me and my mom still feels the responsibility that even though that I'm 27 and I'm married now and I got all this stuff going on I'm, I'm a fully functioning adult she still feels that it's her job and her, necess her necessity to make sure that I'm fine, that I'm okay, that our family, even though you know we're, we're cleaving from the parents to the wife, she even finds it important to make sure that we're doing all right. And I say that to let you know that your job as a, as a, as a parent will not stop when that child is 18. Until one of you go, you're, you're stuck with each other. And you have the same responsibility, listen to me, you have the same responsibility to give that 5-year-old to the Lord as you do your 15-year-old. As you do your 25-year-old. You have to get to a place where you realize that there was, there's a level that you cannot supersede. She understood that. She got to a point where her faith had to transcend the blessing on her own life. I love Moses. And I'm not sure what will happen from this point, but I'm going to trust God. So I'm going to make this ark, and I'm going to hide him in the bushes anyway and see what the Lord will do with the situation. My question to you is this, have you gotten to that point yet? Have you gotten to, your point, to that point yet? Where you have given your, that's why we've done baby dedications, and listen to me church, that's not just a piece of paper. It's not just a little, a little ceremony that means nothing. You, when you have, if you've got up in here and you've done a, a baby dedication here or at another church or whatever, you have came before people and God and said, I am, I am devoting myself to give this child, and no matter what capacity it is, over to you. And I'm going to trust you that you know better for that child than I know better for that child. Have you honored that commitment? Have you honored that? Because here's the application that I, that I, that I can make with this. It's like that parable in the Bible where the, where the, the ruler had gave the, uh, gave the people, he gave one man one talent, he gave one man three talents, he gave the other one five, and after a while he comes back and he says, what'd you do? And the man that had ten, five talents, he multiplied it and made it ten. He said, man, you're a great man, keep those talents. He comes to the man that had three, he multiplies it and he gave him six, and now he has six. He says, wow. Congratulations, you can keep those talents. But then he gets to the one who had one. He said, I fear that you are an evil and terrible man, and I was afraid, so I buried that talent in the sand to keep it safe. And what did that ruler say? He said, Man, you're a sluggard. You're a sluggard, you're lazy, you're you're self-centered. You I'm not saying that's you, but what I'm saying is that you have a responsibility to be a good steward of your one talent or you're 5, or you're 25, or you're 24. 
how, how are you being cognitive to the blessing that God has given you? Because if you have not allowed him and the blessing he's given you to let your faith transcend that, to overcome that, to, to take that farther than you can ever go. What, what's the saying? How does that saying go? God can do more with what you've got than you can do with what you've got. And I know that we want to take our child and we want to coddle them and we want to keep them right here. We want, to, we want to just do everything that we can for them. And yes, you should. But there comes a point in your life where you've got to say, all right, God, you take over. You do it. You provide. You, you encourage. You build. You edify. You grow. Because the Bible says there's a way that seems right into a man, but in the end are the ways of death. You have to, mom, mom you have to be consistently seeking the Lord on behalf of your child, interceding. James 5.16 says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What does that mean? That's a fancy term to say prayer changes things. Yes, labor over your child and, and love on that child, but you have to get to a point. You may say, Pastor, you're beating it, over, beating it over the head, but I want you to understand that you have to get to a point that says, God, I want you to do what do with this child what I cannot. Number one, she understood a mother will always risk their life, risk it all for the child. Number two, a mother's faith in God will always transcend the blessing on her. And lastly, a child's anointing is heavenly contingent on the execution of his mother. A child's anointing is heavenly dependent on how well the mom executes her own life. You know you have a responsibility to be an example to your child? You have to realize that you are going to be, many times that baby opens their eyes for the first time and that's when he first falls in love, sees mama. And from that point, you become the first foundational level in that child's life. And so you are now going to be, through God, the foundation that that child will now build his life on. A responsibility, listen to me. You have a responsibility to execute well because how you live your life will determine how that child lives his. You can't be up in church with your nice dress on and your King James Bible and your nice high heel pumps, praising God, shouting hallelujah, going to the altar and crying your eyes out and raising hands, crying hallelujah, and then go home and live a double life. You're going to ruin that child's anointing. You gotta be that example. Listen to me, it's single moms in the room, it's even doubly on you. Because you're pulling double duty. And you have to make sure that the life that you live exemplifies Christ all the time. Because if not, you're gonna you may end up being one of the chief reasons. And listen to me, oh, it's Mother's Day, but dads, you're not y'all not excluded. Don't kick your shoes off and act like you I none of this applies to you. You better put some shoes back on because I'm talking to you too. As a parent at the hall, because y'all on Father's Day, so don't even act like Alright, good. I understand. As a parent, as a whole, you are that foundation for your child that will either make them be exemplary or bust. For the Lord. Because I know people who are damaged people. Growing up without whatever. Hey, check this out. You know that you can be there but not be there? 
It is just as bad, listen to me, it is just as bad for you to be present but not be present than it is for someone who doesn't have it all. Someone asked me this question one time, they said, they said, Rev, my friends call me Rev. They said, Rev, which one's worse? To have a parent and then lose them or to not have a parent at all? And I couldn't answer it because both are extremely detrimental. Both are extremely detrimental. You got to be careful because parents can be, be there and they can live in the same house but not, not be involved. And that can be just as taxing because it's just as if you're not there anyway. You have to make sure that you understand that the child's anointing. And Samuel, listen to me. There would probably be a different name of those next two books, Samuel, first and second Samuel, if Jacob if Hannah had decided that when it came time to offer her child to the Lord like she said she was going to, she could have took him back. And said, I can't do it. He's mine. I can't, I can't give him to you. It would have changed Samuel's entire life. What about Abraham and Isaac? God says, go ahead and I want you to offer your son. And he could have gotten to that, he could have gotten to that altar and said, okay, I can't do it. That would have changed everything for Isaac. I want you to take out Samuel. I want you to take out Isaac. I want you to take out John the Baptist. I want you to take out Jesus. I want you to take out all those childs of all the success stories you know from the Bible and implement your own child's name. Because it's important for you to realize that your child is going to grow up. Whether they're close to the Lord or they're away is on you. And like I said in the beginning, you will stand before an almighty God. You will stand before an almighty God and give an account for your child. Children. He says children are a gift from the Lord. And this message was not about Moses. It was not about your children. It's not about the children. It's not about your children. Your children, some of you have your children sitting with you in here today. It's not about them at all. This is all about you, mom. Because I'm looking at a room full of powerful women. Powerful women of God who's done their best to raise their children and, and do the best that they can. And God doesn't require us to be perfect. He requires us to try. We understand that. And I don't want, I'm not asking you or telling you to be perfect because that's, that's unrealistic. What I am saying is that as a mother, you've got to be broken for the Lord more than you are broken for your child. Because it's a trickle-down effect. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That passage in the Bible, what is it? Why is it important? Because as you seek God first, as a mom, right? All these things shall be added unto you. My Bible says that, and my God shall supply your every need. You seek God first. Taking up your cross daily and trying to follow him first. He's going to equip you with what you need to be the right mom you got to be. The right dad you got to be. The right parent you got to be. But here's, if you get nothing else from this message, it's this. This is the warning. You raise that child without God. I'm not talking about, oh, I believe in God or, or you know, no. I'm talking about an active relationship with him. You're going to see that there's a completely different 
timeline that your child could have. You got to be careful with what God has given you, that gift, because now you're about to, you have committed to a lifetime of being a good steward with what you've been given. And you'll have to answer to God for that. I'm so glad that the story ends well, that Jacobet's son did not get eaten by, the, by crocodiles or drowned in the river. She was able to be called and to be able to raise her child anyway and to see him do great and mighty things. My prayer, mothers, is for you all to see your children grow and see great and mighty things. I want to just remind you of one more, one, more, one more story in the Bible, and then we'll be done. So you can close your notebooks up, we're done. You pack it up, put your shoes back on. 2 Tim Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, gives us a verse where we see two names mentioned here that we never see again. The mother's names are Eunice and Lois. Eunice and Lois are only mentioned one time in the Bible. But the one verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, says something powerful about them. Paul is talking to young Timothy, and he says, Man, I can't help but, rem but be reminded when I look at you of the faith of your mother and your grandmother, Eunice and Lois. That's the one thing it says about them, is that they were faithful. And because they were faithful, we see that that faithfulness trickled down from their lives all the way down to Timothy, to equip him and anoint him to be able to be the strong young pastor that God has called him to be. Whether your child is a pastor or missionary or evangelist or teacher or doctor or veterinarian, whatever it is that they choose to be with their life, they can be the best they can be if you are where you are supposed to be. So that's my challenge for you today. Because just like Jacobet, Mama will always be there. But just because you're there doesn't mean you're there. Let's pray.